welcome to this week's episode of the Stephen Perkins Podcast. I'm Stephen Perkins, Editor-in-Chief of the Outset Network. Thank you for joining us once again this week. This is the show where we speak to influential young leaders on the right uh, who are doing cool things and inspiring others to take action. And this week, I'm talking with Blake Hudson. Now, Blake is someone um, who has a myriad of things going on for him. It's pretty cool. He's an academic counselor. Um, He's a former candidate for the state Senate in Illinois, so kind of continuing our theme of of young people who ran for office. Um, And he's my guest this week, and we talk about a whole variety of things. It's a a bit of a different episode, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. I sure did. We talk about um, growing young people's leadership capacity. We talk about uh, his campaign for state Senate in Illinois. We talk about how you find a purpose for your life. It's a really interesting episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, Before we get into the interview, I do want to let you know that Young Guns on the Outset Network is getting back up and running. We are having a couple of weeks here where we're bringing in auditioning hosts. So they are guest hosting with me, and we're trying to figure out who's going to be the next host of Young Guns because we're bringing it back, and I'm really excited for that show to take off once again. Uh, So if you haven't had the chance, go ahead and listen to last week's episode where we had our first auditioning host. This Friday is when we will have our second host, and for the next couple of weeks, we'll be um, hosting Blake, those Blake, thanks so much for coming on my show. How are you today? Episodes you like the most. Doing great. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing incredibly well. But until uh, then, now that we have some, uh, we had some audio issues before, with but Blake uh, we got those solved. So, um, well, Blake, I'm excited to have you because you're unlike probably most the guests that I've had. I've, I've had an entrepreneur on before. Most of the people on my show are, uh, are political activists. Um, you are interested in helping young people, helping millennials kind of achieve their um, their capacity. You're an academic uh, counselor there. And um, so so tell me kind of what brought you to where you are now? What what is your background? Where were you raised? We'll start with that one. Sure. Um, well, I, I, first of all, the audio problems, I think it would make for a pretty interesting conversation. <laughs> we just been looking at each other, but no sound, yeah. um, just kind of improv the whole podcast. But, um, no, I, I grew up in a city called North Chicago initially, which is about 40 miles North of Chicago. Um, not the greatest environment, you know, if I'm being honest, I, um, I don't think the school system there was the best, um, I had some pretty dangerous situations growing up. I had my house broken into. Um, there's obviously good people in North Chicago. There's good people everywhere if you look hard enough. Um, but there were definitely some challenges there. And then I would say when I was about 10 years old, my family moved about eight miles north to a town called Zion, a little bit better community. I started going there probably around sixth grade and stayed there until I graduated high school. And so, yeah, that was, that was where I grew up. Um, my parent situation. So my mom was a single mom. She was 21 years old when she had me. She was attending uh, college at the time. Unfortunately, um, my father was not really in the picture uh, growing up. And so, you know, for me, it was kind of my mom and my grandparents. Um, but in some ways, that ended up being a catalyst for uh, many other kind of benefits in my life. So, yeah, so that's kind of that brain. I'm curious what, what, sparked your interest in what you do today and and did it have anything to do with um with that upbringing that you had there um you know i i would have to assume yes um i think that not having a parent in your life definitely can shape a person um for good or for bad it just depends on how they perceive that situation i know for me my my mother um in her youth still had a an amazing amount of wisdom and you know, she really impressed upon me the idea that, you know, my earthly father wasn't there for me in the ways in which I wanted him to be. Uh, but I had a heavenly father who, you know, created me, desired a relationship with me. And so from a very young age, um, my faith in Christ really grew out of a deep sense of relationship rather than religion. And so I was heavily involved in my church. Um, I was given the opportunity to speak at a young age. So I gave my first speech when I was five. It was a little short sermon at my church, and probably by the time I was 10, I had spoken over 50 times. I, I traveled to, like, Tennessee to represent my school and spoke at, like, graduations, and it was it was pretty um, interesting in that respect. So I kind of 
had this opportunity to serve young people in that way uh, through this gift. Um, I remember second grade, I was a peer mediator. And so all these different ways in which I was either a role model or um, just kind of allowing young people to to see or hear an example of the sort of life they could live. Um, and that's, you know, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, that's kind of something I've been doing for a long time. And I think it really cultivated when in high school, I started asking my question, how can I mean the most for the most? And it really caused me to do some deep thinking about my skill set and where I would serve people. Now tell us just, you've touched on it lightly, but tell us what you do with young people. What is the impact that you're trying to make there? Sure. So about two years ago, um, this is simultaneously with, and you can imagine this is a pretty busy season. While I was uh, finishing up my master's in public administration, while I was starting a campaign for state senate, um, I started a consulting business um, called Bright Start. And it was basically a way for me to help millennials transition with clarity. I was doing some research at the time on increasing the civic engagement among the millennial generation. And it just dawned on me that, you know, they're facing a unique world. Um, the challenges they're facing are unique. And we got a, a decent amount of tools at our disposal and resources, but it's also going to require some self-introspection, some self-awareness, and really setting a, a course, a trajectory, if you will, as a generation. And so specifically the work I do is helping millennials get clear about their identity and their purpose. Um, and that goes into this work I do about living a better story. You know, if if you really are, are clear about who the character is in your story, um, and you set a clear direction, um, you can really start to navigate obstacles better and perceive them in a more healthy and positive way. I know one of the biggest impacts for me, it, it's, it's funny how there's the answers are kind of right out there. All you have to do is go seek them. Um, I, I've spoken on, on this show and in my blog before about, I, I read a book, um, you may have heard about it, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Um, and it, it talks a lot about find your passion, but also it, find your why, find the reason um, that you do the work that you do. And it led me down this journey. And it's funny when I heard Sinek talk about how he came up with what he calls the, the golden circle, which has the why on the inside that is the center point of everything you do. He said that it was not a corporate exercise. It was not something he did because he wanted to sell books or give a speech. It was something that he did because he was in a career that was making, you know, making him unhappy and unfulfilled. And it was something that came out of pain. And I thought, well, how interesting. I was going into my senior year of college feeling the same way. I had no idea really. I, I knew kind of what I wanted to do. I didn't know why I wanted to do it. And so it was the same sort of exercise of um, it, it came out of frustration and pain and, and, and developed that passion. Do you find that um, do you find that usually that's the best conduit for finding your purpose or, or, or kind of finding your story is whenever things are frustrating? Because I found for me that that kind of gives incentive to find answers that gives incentive to, to, to have that, um, that search within yourself and kind of come up with, with what you're thinking there. Well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that I, I am aware of Simon Sinek and the start with why, uh, book. I would encourage every listener right now, even if they have seen it before, go Google start with why yeah. and, and watch the Ted talk and it really will be transformational. Um, I, I really appreciate the way you put that. It was very eloquently put. And something I do, I, I went to a conference a couple years ago by uh, an author named Donald Miller, and it was called Storyline. Mm -hmm. uh, long story short, one of the main things I took from it was this idea of living a better story. And in any story, there's three key elements. You have a character who knows what they want and overcomes adversity to get there. There's some other you know, minor elements as well, but those are the three central tenets. And what a lot of people do in their lives is they will either uh, dream and kind of just dwell on what they want, or they will put their focus on their adversities and kind of let them overtake them in the course of life. Yeah. Well, the reality is, um, whether you look at it from a practical standpoint or even a spiritual standpoint, the adversities that we face in life shape our character. Think about the best stories you've ever seen. The character goes through some sort of obstacle 
that in turn shapes that character. And sometimes the purpose is the process in and of itself. Um, other times there's a there's a measurable goal that needs to be achieved. But to answer your question, yes, I do think oftentimes we find our pain and our purpose. I do a workshop with a lot of clients, um, both schools and just kind of informal settings uh, where I help people kind of find their life purpose. And one of the things I usually stumble upon is people end up being what they needed when they were younger. Mm. Um, they, they, as they answer these questions and think deeply about who they are, what they do, the types of people they serve, and they start to, it starts to dwell on them. That, oh, well, that's what I needed when I was five or, or 10 or 15. And um, yeah, I think there's, there's purpose and pain at times. So what would you say is your why? What, what is the, the belief that fuels your work? You know, when I answer, when I conduct that exercise in my own life, um, and it's it's kind of built off of a TED Talk as well. I forget the gentleman's name. I think it starts with Larry, but it was life purpose in five minutes. Casual, you know, just an informal TED Talk, but really powerful, the questions. And when I answered them, um, I came up with, I you know, I try and be a leader in my generation who inspires other millennials to rise up and lead. That was scary at first because I, you know, I had this idea, well, I have to be the leader. I have to lead and whatnot. And then it dawned on me, you can't lead everything, Blake. I mean, there's so many sectors and industries in this world that need good leadership. You, you, businesses, churches, nonprofits, government, education, healthcare. I mean, all, all over the place. And you need good leaders. And so for me, it dawned on me that, wow, you know, I, if I can help other people get really clear about who they are, strengths, weaknesses, vulnerabilities, all of that, and really clear about the types of people they want to serve and the type of impact they want to make, we're going to have a better world. And our generation will really start to buck some of these trends that have been placed on us, and and we too can be considered a great generation. Well, I, I think that really the true essence of being a leader is that you're building up others. A leader's job is to, is to multiply uh, the effect of leadership and, and to, to help people reach their leadership capacity. And so um, I, I think that's a powerful thing. And like you said, you can't lead everything, but you could hopefully help other people uh, become good leaders and then they will go out and lead uh, everything else. And it's, it's that multiplying effect that um, that's so powerful. Um, I'm curious what has influenced you um, over your childhood, over your early career, what are some of those influences or the people who have influenced you so far? Sure. Well, I, you know, I'm going to certainly draw back on an experience first. I, um, and this is all kind of in the same season of life. The end of my junior year, when I was summertime into the senior year of high school, I went to this thing called Illinois Boys State. Um, they have them all across the country. I believe Bill Clinton was a boy stater in mm-hmm. his state, uh, Michael Jordan as well. And basically, they you spend a week on a college campus, which is pretty cool when you're 16, 17, and they teach you all about civic responsibility and your role in government and society. And I, I, I really took that to heart. It, it started to dawn on me, man, maybe I do have a role to play. And then, as fate would have it, I come back to school the next semester, and we're in the you know heart of the 2007 2008 campaign and so i start to see that you know man these these political leaders really have a great deal of influence most importantly they they get to use their voice and their platform to raise awareness of certain issues um to speak life and and hope into people at least that's what i assumed at the time and so you know i started to move towards you know a career in politics um, but if I'm really being honest with you and you know with our listeners today, I, I think, and I talk about this in a blog post on my website, um, I think I was pursuing a shadow calling in some respects. Uh, I think that while I absolutely have a deep desire to serve, there's a, there's a passion for policy and how it affects people's lives. You know, really, Stephen, um, it's it's wanting to talk to heart issues. It's wanting to talk to, you know, the really the core of a person, the essence of a person. And so, you know, I, I've really lately been motivated more by the Tony Robbins, Lewis Howes uh, of the world than maybe as much as I would have been maybe the, the Ben Sasses, the, uh, you know, Barack Obamas and, you know, other politicians of note, Paul sure. Ryan's of the world. 
so we've kind of touched on it earlier, and, and we're we're going to get into your uh, your state senate campaign here in a bit. Um, and and what I said on a couple of shows back, when I was talking about young people running for office, is this is the generation that, according to all the research out there, um, is a generation that really wants to make a difference, um, really wants to influence change. And it's interesting to me that there's a disconnect between that belief, and maybe you could help explain this a little bit, that belief and actually being active uh, or being civically engaged. And I'm not even talking about running for office as much as I'm mm -hmm. talking about even voting or, or being involved in, in community politics. Why do you think that may be? Why do you think that the generation that wants to make a change is not engaging in the institutions and the methods by which one would conventionally think you go through to uh, to make that change? Yeah, you know, I think sometimes the simplest answers are the best ones. Um, and especially having the experience of running for office, I think twofold. One, it's hard to run for office when you're young, mm -hmm. particularly higher offices. And two, with all due respect, it doesn't look as though government is the most efficient place to make change. I mean, we're living in a day and age where you can – we have a 26-year-old that's a billionaire that created Snapchat. I mean, and we're all holding phones in our hand that either have or are capable of having Snapchat. I mean, I'm sure in some ways him and the people that supported that endeavor feel like they made an impact. To what degree? I'm not sure. But, you know, you look at, you know, things like an Uber, um, Airbnb, there's, there's opportunities to impact that are far quicker than the glacial pace that, you know, politics and government has to offer. And I think that's more appealing and attractive to this generation, particularly when there's already so many barriers to entry. Um, and it just kind of makes for a perfect storm of a delayed entry into the political process. But do you think that that is, do you think young people are seeing some of these alternative forms? I, I agree with you. There, there's other ways to make an impact. But when you hear about people complaining about things like, you know, student loans or social issues, or uh, when you have people uh, upset about when they talk about income inequality or any of these political, inherently political issues, do you think that that is an acceptable alternative, some of those other forms of making an impact, um, rather than running for the institutions that or, or even just being engaged in the institutions that directly uh, contribute to those policies? Well, I think it's an alternative in the sense that you can make a difference there. I, I don't want to be um, on record as saying that I think it's not important political process. I sure. absolutely agree with you that that is an, it's, it's a big industry that requires change. It is an industry that affects so many other industries. And so um, as I said earlier, and in my research from my master's thesis, you know, we need leaders in government, business, you know, nonprofit sector, education, healthcare, all these different fields. We need leaders there. And so to neglect the political landscape and the government landscape, I think, would be a, a tremendous disservice to the, the future of our nation and democracy in the world, really. So we, we spoke a little yesterday, um, and I think it's really great how you are working with young people and, and helping them kind of take that first step into their leadership journey. Um, I do the same thing in, in my job with both Outset and some other things. Um, and so I just want to kind of pick your brain as, as being in similar type of situations, being uh, wanting to make a similar impact. Um, what has that experience been like? I mean, you, you have... I, I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm assuming you have kids who maybe don't understand the leadership capacity they have. How do you get someone to understand um, how special of a contribution they can make, what their capacity is, and kind of the fact that they can have a meaningful and purpose-driven life? Um, you said something earlier in the podcast that I think helps answer this question. You were talking about how the answers are right out there. You just need to seek them. Um, I think the answers are even closer than that. I think a lot of times the answers are within. And one of the things that I feel I'm really uh, adept at is kind of drawing out the the raw, you know, potential in a person, and then using language to help simplify the complex. Um, 
And so really, as you start to ask them these kind of simple but really thought-provoking questions, things like, who are you really? You know, what sort of identity do you have? What skills do you possess? Who who does your heart actually break for? If you had to serve a group of people, what what group would you be most comfortable with? And how what do they need and how do they change? And you know, things of that nature, they really start to kind of dig deep and think about their own obstacles and adversities. And as you draw these things out and kind of put that puzzle together, they then see that, oh, I, I do have something of value to offer. I, I am inherently valuable and I am not adding value by playing small. I, I, in fact, I add value by being myself and living fully in that truth. And um, that's kind of the, the work, the heart behind the work that I do. And I think, again, it's just drawing out the truths that are within them. Once you get past the veneers of ego and false modesty and labels and stereotypes and things of that nature. Sure. I think one of the more one of the most um, powerful things you could say to someone who's a bit hesitant is is just that they belong there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I know I've been in I've had situations where the, these young leaders um, they they feel like well I don't really have the experience or who who's going to listen to me as a as a sixteen seventeen eighteen year old leader and uh, and you know, why does my opinion matter at this point? And my answer is always kind of like, maybe your opinion on things is not as valuable as some other ones because you're still gaining that experience. But I think the powerful thing is that you belong here. Uh, and you know, what I advocate for is really at the beginning of your journey, being a listener uh, mm. and, and, and learning about what it is that you're trying to do um, before going out um, and, and, and doing it or, or going out and speaking about it. Um, I think that's a powerful thing that uh, that could set anyone up for success, but just sometimes letting them know, no, you're here for a reason, um, and, uh, and now it's time to act on that could be powerful. So I, I, I want to learn more about your campaign for State Senate because this is really cool. Last week we had Jake Leahy on. Um, and he ran and, and is a current uh, school board member in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in the same state there. Um, so you decided to run for the state Senate. And I'm interested in what inspired you to do that. What was the catalyst there? Boy, I tell you what. Um, first of all, congratulations again to Jake. Jake was actually at my announcement event when I when I ran for office. And he later told me, and hearing this from him really validated that whole experience, no matter what the outcome was. Um, he shared with me, you know, I, I was involved in politics before your campaign, but you showed me that it was okay for me to do this, like that I could run and I wasn't too young. And boy, I could have I could have burst out crying there when I heard that because it was just like, man, that's what it was about. And so the catalyst for it was I, I spent a year after uh, undergrad um, in Springfield, my state capital, working in the uh, Senate Republican Caucus as a, a press staffer, and so I was privy to you know all sorts of conversations and information and the budget back when Illinois used to pass budgets because <laughs> apparently we don't do that <laughs> as overrated. much anymore. Yeah, overrated. Um, but uh, yeah, and and I just I was shocked at how the decisions being made today had an exponential impact on future generations and citizens. I mean, it's one thing to have a $96 billion pension you know, liability. That's what it was. Now it's, I'm sure, in like 100 and teens. Um, it's another thing when you kick that can down the road for another 10, 15 years. I mean, at that point, how do you attract good government employees? You know, mm. how do you provide good government services? Some people would say that's a joke. Good government. I mean, but the reality is the government still does have a role to play in our society and we can't just completely neglect it. And so I, I will say, too, that while I was down there, I noticed, I mean, the level of competence was wide ranging in terms of our elected officials. Um, and that's the best way I can put that. I just, <laughs> you know, really what it, I guess the better way to put it is maybe. People have expertise and credibility in a variety of areas, and sometimes they're not even in a field, but they're just within their personality. You know, you could potentially go down to a state capital and not know a lot about any particular industry, but you've got the social acumen to build coalitions, to get people to buy into something. 
And as long as you're a decent listener, you can actually serve your constituents well. Mm-hmm. And so it dawned on me, you know, obviously I, I don't know everything. I didn't pretend to be an expert on everything. But what I did know was that I could listen to people. I could break down complex things into simple things. And I could read and write well. You know, I was getting ready to start grad school at the time. In fact, I finished grad school before I ran. And so I came home and basically decided, man, I need to do something about this. I don't want to run away from this problem and just move away. I don't want to point fingers and blame the Republicans or blame the Democrats. Um, I want to be in the arena. And so I, in the middle of the night, one night, woke up and started kind of sketching out an idea for like a logo and slogan I had. It was so crazy because I still have an image of that sketch on just a random day in the Springfield morning and um, my logo for my campaign and now currently my business still reflects some of those themes. And the the, uh, the slogan was, Awaken Illinois' Greatness Within. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to say I was talking about making Illinois great before our president <laughs> came along. Uh, I think I think you put it more eloquently <laughs> than just make Illinois great again. So that's yeah, good. that would also imply that it was great at one's point. But I, I'd love <laughs> to be able to share too that the slogan was so perfect because it allowed me to talk about things of Illinois and problems and solutions within the slogan. So each word had a purpose. Um, Awaken was meant to talk about the apathy, the rampant apathy that was present in my state. Mm. So many people had turned off to the process because they don't trust it anymore, and rightfully so. When four of eight governors go to federal prison, there's there's reason to have apathy. Um, Awaken Illinois. So I was really adamant in that Illinois was where we wanted this – this change to happen. I, I was very state focused at the time. I wanted us to kind of have a sense of unity uh, across the state. So we've got these regions we talk about in our state. There's Chicago, there's downstate, and there's the suburbs. And it's almost like three separate entities. Well, we had to be one if we're going to get together and succeed. Um, Awaken Illinois' greatness. And that's where I got to really highlight some of the strengths of my state um, a thriving economy, um, world class institutions, um, an agricultural industry that really serves the rest of the nation, and and so on and so forth. But, you know, it wasn't all doom and gloom. There were resources and things we could build upon. And then lastly, Awaken Illinois' greatness within. And I really would emphasize that the, the success of this state will be dependent upon the people of this state. Um, Illinois' greatness is its people. And we don't necessarily need to look to help from D.C. We don't need to look to help from Wisconsin or Indiana or Iowa, where a lot of people flee. The reality is we just need to turn inward and and challenge ourselves to be a better state, to be um, the very best citizens we're capable of being. And if we did that, man, all that we need to be a great state is there. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to talk about that message for as long as I wanted to. Um, but you know, I kind of received some some pushback from some major players across the state. And it, it started to dawn on me, boy, I, I wasn't going to be campaigning as much as I was going to be fighting to either stay on a ballot or, mm. you know, just, and it was just like, man, I didn't, I didn't do this to make enemies in that way. You know, if I make enemies cause I'm talking about something important, that's fine. But I, um, you know, I was able to raise $10,000 uh, very early on about less, more than a year before the election was able to recruit over 100 volunteers. I mean, you can just see from my announcement event, there were, you know, 60 plus people in shirts and happy to serve and walk and knock on doors and get, you know, signatures for people. Um, so it was a great exercise. Um, I loved the fact that I was able to bring other young people into the fold and give them a voice. And it wasn't just a young campaign. Um, I just happened to be young and there were a lot of young people attracted to it. But there were adults as well that supported it and could really buy into the idea of awakening Illinois' greatness within. What kind of feedback did you get from um, from just voters in the community um, first uh, about your campaign platform and ideas, and secondly uh, about your age? Did you find it more challenging, or or did some people kind of treat it as an advantage? What what was that reaction there? Um, anyone that was willing to listen, and I mean for more than 10 seconds, mm-hmm. uh, it was able to kind of put their guard down a little bit or let their guard down in regards to my age 
and particularly my message. So I ran as a Republican. I had a conservative message, and my quote-unquote agenda was really simple. And I would tell people it's simple intentionally. Um, I wanted to create more opportunities. And I wanted to respect taxpayers. I didn't necessarily say less taxes because sometimes the respectful thing to do for taxpayers is to give them a good return on their investment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you want new roads, well, we can't build new roads with no money. But the respectful thing to do would be to take that money that we got for roads and use it on roads. Imagine Respect that. taxpayers. Yeah, crazy <laughs> ideas, right? But I was like, if I can keep this simple, people can buy into it. More opportunities. How do I make sure that kids across the state are in third grade are reading at a third grade level so that they have opportunities to advance and grow their education as opposed to the rates we have now where a lot of them are reading below that level? Um and I, I thought that the age part was really tempered with in the fact that I had pursued a master's degree, I experienced in the state. And, you know, the reality was I would tell a lot of people, I mean, how badly do you want experience? Would you rather me have been down there for 15 years? I mean, really, our state capital is a, it's a house of dysfunction. Um, what benefit would I have of having that kind of institutional knowledge? I know how the system works. I've been in it. And I understand policy. Most importantly, I'm here talking to you on your doorstep. When's the last time a candidate was doing that? And a lot of people didn't have rebuts for that. And I wasn't being disrespectful. I was just being, you know, blunt with them. So, mm-hmm. so what were some key takeaways that you had from that campaign? Once it was over, what do you look back and think? That's a, that's a good lesson learned. Boy, um, I spent a lot of time trying to. I guess, how do I put this, look like a campaign as opposed to just campaigning. Mm. So there were a lot of, first of all, man, if you're running for office, young, old, otherwise, everyone's got an opinion. (laughs) Everyone's got a, a person you need to talk to, a thing you need to do. And if you're an inquisitive and curious person like me, oh my goodness, be prepared because you're going to get all sorts of suggestions. And if you try and follow every single one of those, you're going to go nowhere. Mm-hmm. You're literally going to go in circles. And so, I, you know, I there was this talk, you got to raise this so much money. They got to raise $100,000 in this three-month window to even be taken seriously. And, you know, it's like, dude, go talk to people. It, really, that's a very simple process in some ways. Like, you got to get, so for example, to be on state senate, you need a thousand signatures of voters in the area, in your in your district to run for office. So generally, you want to get like fifteen hundred, two thousand would be great. So it's like go talk to people and get signatures. You know, don't don't get so caught up in like I got to raise a billion dollars by next week. Like that that's really going to stagnate your efforts. So I, I would say, and this is this goes for business, this goes for school. Um, when you can, don't play the part. Just do the work. Um, and I won't say that it was the undoing of me. I think there were a lot of things that were just long story short out of my control. And then hindsight being 2020 with the national uh, campaign going the way it was, it would have been difficult to overcome that. However, I will say, and I said from the beginning, even before Donald Trump jumped in the race, people wanted something different. Mm -hmm. And a, for those that either don't know, visit my website, you know, for a young African-American conservative who was 24, 25, 26 years old, you know, college educated, come from a difficult upbringing, but is now serving the community in a variety of ways. I thought that would be appealing to Illinois voters. It'd be a tough sell. You'd have to invest a lot of money in it. I get that. But I mean, just to kind of run the same sort of situation we had out there in the past, and it produced the same result. Um, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but I have a Democrat representing my state Senate district, and um, I don't think that necessarily reflects the the desires of the district. I think it's a reflection of sometimes the candidates and candidate recruitment process. Mm-hmm. So, I do think it's interesting what you said, though, about uh, kind of a focus on playing the part rather than just going out and doing the work, because isn't that is isn't that true for a lot of things and a lot of people um, of a young age? Is is we look at the models of you know elected politicians, or we looked at these leaders in the different industries we want to go into, and we think, oh, we have to be like them. But uh, 
when when I look at those people, I always see well they they charted their own path. They they didn't take a path that other people had followed. And um, I, I don't remember the Steve Jobs quote perfectly, but it, it was the one where he said that everything that everything in this life was created by people no smarter than you. And so why don't you go out and you have the ability to change it? And so I think that that's a powerful thing. Do the work and and maybe you will be the model that people look up to and, and, and want to do it the way you did it. So I think that's a really, uh, that's a really powerful insight and takeaway there. Thank you. Yeah, I would agree with you. Now for other people wanting to run for office, um, you had challenges, but w- would you recommend they do it? Absolutely. In fact, I personally, I would recommend that every citizen either run for an office or if that's not in your personality, um, invest time on a campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it takes you 10 years before you find a candidate that you believe in enough to, to serve and volunteer for. That's fine. All I'm saying is I, I understand like voting is a big deal and definitely vote, but there's deeper levels of involvement in society than that. And I think people really underestimate the level of influence that you can have in the kind of governing process if you volunteer on a candidate's campaign unless it's like the president of the united states they're gonna know who you are like i worked for congressman robert dole and we were in the most contested congressional race in the entire country i mean jake talked about it last or a couple weeks ago on his show like i mean the average democrat should beat the average republican by eight percentage points in that district and congressman dole won it by two so you can imagine the sort of infighting that was going on in that district. My point is saying that while the national attention was on that campaign, the spotlight, all the money that was poured in, Bob still remembered, you know, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so when they walked through the door. Like, he knew their names. And here's a man who's representing, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, but uh, it's not lost in him who is helping him do that. And so when he's in office, when he's a congressman, and these people come to visit him in D.C. or write him a letter, they're heard. And if that can be done for a member of Congress that was in the House Ways and Means Committee, it can certainly be done for your state representative. And, oh, my goodness, you go volunteer on a mayor's campaign, I mean, you might as well be the mayor (laughs) because you've got his ear. There's a deep appreciation there, and I don't think that's lost on most public servants. That is true, and that's a good way to look at it, that even if you don't want to run, getting involved is, is definitely um, a part of that as well. Um, so, Because I, I, I've seen that impact, too, of being able to, to talk to these elected officials who maybe for a lot of people, elected officials seem like they're, they're distant and mm-hmm. you can't uh, just have a meeting with them, but it's, it's possible, so it, and it's cool when you do it. Um, and one, thing, one other thing I want to say, too, for your listeners is that to understand the difference between politics and governing. There is a difference. They are not, we use these words interchangeably at times, but it's wrong to do that. It's the difference between who Barack Obama was in 2007 and eight, and then who he was for the next four years. It's the difference between the things and ways Donald Trump talks and acts a year ago versus how he talks and acts now. Like the responsibilities are different, the expectations are different, but the reality is you need politics to do the work of governing. They're both necessary and you know it, it feeds into each other. And so to think, well, I care about the government, but I don't well, campaigns. Well, that's a huge part of it. You have to you have to <laughs> buy, get, buy in. to get in, yeah. You have to have the support of people to govern them well. And so I would encourage people to just understand the difference between the two and get engaged in both if possible, you know. Absolutely. Um, wrapping up here, I want to go into some rapid fire questions. Uh, your responses don't have to be brief, but that just means that unlike most of my questions, which are long winded, I, I keep the questions brief. Um, the first one is if you had some way to get out a message to millions of people instantly, what would that message be that you'd like to get out? Um, that you can live a better story, particularly in assessing who you are what you want, and the ways in which you go about navigating obstacles in life. Um, To put it simply, as I did in my graduation speech, um, there's three E's that I think really help you when it comes to that. Number one, embracing. Embrace the reality 
of the world around you, struggles, problems, expectations, all those things. Embrace them. Um, number two, endure. Endure through struggles. Endure through hardships. Um, endure through trials. Um, because number one, it produces something in you that that grows you, and also it it, it produces the result that you're pursuing. And then lastly, enjoy. There's a scripture where it talks about Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I think there's great power in setting joy before us and the joy that comes in realizing that vision over time. So in a sense, you make the process your joy rather than just the the end result. Um, And I think that those elements are critical to living a better story. Very cool. Um, looking down the road, I know you don't do as much in politics, but this doesn't even have to be political. Uh, what is the issue or a couple of issues that you see as being dominant in the future? Sure. Um, I'm really just kind of thinking offhand here. I think the affordability of higher education, which I think is interesting because I'm in that industry and I just, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how you're you're pricing out a large segment of the population, which sounds bad, but then there's also the reality that is the liberal arts education preparing people to do the work required in the subsequent decades? Mm-hmm. Just to, to open any question. The other thing too is um, just coming to mind the the power and effect of technology and social media in our lives. I think as we continue to study the brain more and understand, you know, how neurons fire and dopamine and how chemicals flood our brains and, you know, why people just incessantly, I'm guilty of this last night, scroll through Facebook at 12 p.m. or 12 a.m., 1 a.m. in the morning um, and the effects that's having on us. Um, and just it's almost like when in reality we should have more vulnerable people which would produce just more honesty in society and more genuineness, good or bad. We've got less of it as we put ourselves out there in this digital space. It's almost like here is the avatar I would like you to see me as. And I don't know, I think that that, that could pose some problems um, down the road. So, yeah, higher education and technology. A highly edited life for sure. Yeah. Um, we'll get into books. I'm always interested in what books influence people. So what is, if you had to pick one, one book that influenced you the most, what book would that be? Boy, it's hard to come to mind. Would you rather a book that maybe your leader readers haven't listeners haven't heard of, or one that is a little bit more prominent. They could be able to find maybe a little bit more easier. Tell us the hidden gem. What's the one that they maybe haven't heard of. Okay. There's a book called Chasing Daylight, and it's by, um, he's got a lot of titles, pastor, futurist, spiritual leader, out in uh, L.A. I think his name is Ralph Irwin McManus. It's called Chasing Daylight, and basically it tells this uh, eloquent story about you know Jonathan, this Old Testament character, and his armor bear. And he's saying, like, we're going to go up and fight this fight, and if God is for us, we will win. And if he's not, we'll lose. But we're going to do this for his name's sake. And it just really charged me to, to move forward with conviction. One of the key quotes in there is, when you're passionate about God, you can trust your passions. Um, living life and moving forward with a passionate clarity, a boldness. And um, he uses this metaphor throughout. Like The chapter titles are actually correlated with the idea of, a, uh, of an earthquake. So there's like uh, this calm before the storm and, and then this, this uh, epicenter and then the aftermath and basically calling us to kind of set off these, these, the ripple effects of earthquakes in our lives where, you know, you move with boldness, you invite someone else into your life and they see that boldness, they join alongside you. Next thing you know, a movement's created. And it was just really encouraging for me. And in fact, I probably read that book once a year, um, yeah, Chasing Daylight, just when you're passionate about God, you can trust your passions and move forward with uh, passionate clarity. Very nice. Um, what books do you most frequently give to others? Yeah, so that's a good one. Okay, so that other book I had in mind is called Never Eat Alone. Um, I believe the author's name is Tal Raz. Um, maybe I'm getting that backwards. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you can find the book. It's called Never Eat Alone. 
I think the best comparison is it's this generation's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm. It's just a great book in terms of not just networking, but connecting with people, um, building and leveraging relationships that are not only going to move you and advance you forward, but be, you know, a reciprocal investment and then actually ultimately serve other people. I, I have two copies on my bookshelf at currently because I, I never know who I might pass that, that other copy to. I'll keep the one that's all dog-eared and highlighted. Um, another book that comes to mind in terms of giving out is uh, it's called Born for This, and it's by an author named Chris Gillibo. And he wrote a book called The Art of Nonconformity, $100 Startup. Um, but basically in that book, he kind of outlines like the, the different ways you can either be an entrepreneur or do work that matters, essentially saying you were born for this. You were born for work that you're passionate about. And I love it because in that book, he talks about this idea of uh, this work trifecta of what brings you joy, uh, what puts you into a state of flow, what are you good at, um, and then what what can you get paid for? You know, where, Where's the demand? And when you find work that encompasses those three things, you're good at it, you enjoy it, and you get paid for it, boy, you're living life at that point. And so I would challenge people to think deeply about what brings you joy. It might not be the first thing you think. Um, what uh, what puts you into a state of flow? It's not always easy. It might not always even be the most joyful. But when you do it, you're boy, you're doing it at a pretty impressive clip. And then what what is it that you get paid to do? Even if I mean it's like an, something obscure. I, I work at like you know a grocery store. Well, what are they paying you to do essentially? I know when I answer those questions, um, for me, what do you get paid to do? I get paid to connect, whether it was connecting young people to a camp, congressional campaign or to a college. Um, what are you good at? Well, it's, it's speaking, it's communicating, um, whether written or spoken. But then what would bring you joy? And I had to think really deeply about that. And the more I thought about it, it was like I think about you know playing sports in front of my family or just kind of general performing. And so – well, the work for me now then is we'll find work that kind of encompasses those three things or, or maybe build on those values in a different way. So sorry, but I have to mention one last book. Sure. Um, it's called Pivot. Uh, the only move that matters is the next one. It's by an author named Jenny Blake. Great name, by the way. Um, <laughs> she is amazing. And uh, I, I go through that book like it's, you know, just like a workbook. It's the, probably the most practical book I've ever Read And it's all about how to make a career transition. Um, she uses the basketball metaphor of pivoting. So to first plant and get grounded in what you are and what you're good at to then uh, scan, look at the court for opportunities, you know, build mentors, think about what you could be doing. Um, then you start to pilot. That's basically passing the ball around the court. That would be akin to trying out a business idea, putting a minimal vibe. I'm sorry, a minimum viable product out. And lastly, um, you, what was the last one? You just kind of take the shot. You know, you launch. Sorry about that. That's the last one, launch. And that is where you go full in. You make the shift. You make the transition. You get that new job or start the new business. And just three excellent books, you know, so. Well, very cool. Uh, and I will put all of those in the show notes. And so we'll have a link to uh, all of those. You can find them. Um my last question before we close out, this is always one that uh, I'm most interested in because um, as I see how much news happens every day, uh, the question is, what is your media consumption diet, also known as how do you cut through the noise? What sources are you going to? Sure. Well, everything's fake news now. So, I mean, there's no hope for any of us, right? That's right. Unless they talk kindly about the president. Um <laughs> Boy, I tell you, man, I it's so hard to watch the news these days because most things border on either ridiculous. Like this other thing the other day about Donald Trump, you know, likes two scoops of ice cream while everyone else gets one. <laughs> like, duh. I mean, who doesn't want two scoops of That's ice cream? That's what I was thinking. That's not a scandal. Um, but no, I get that. You know, that makes it more relatable. But um, boy, I tell you, I, I I'm not against a CNN. You know, I, I'm not against even Fox. I just think I watch these things with the lens that they are skewed, you know, they're skewed towards one side of thought and argument. Um, and when you understand it from that perspective, it can be disheartening to traditional journalism because it's not that. But at the same time, it can make it more palatable. 
Um, I'm also watching more Samantha B lately. That show is hilarious. Oh boy. I, I think actually as, as someone that's conservative thought, it's really important to learn how to laugh at yourself about things because sometimes it just gets ridiculous. It's like, I mean, how could people supposed to take you seriously? You know, like for example, the picture in the Rose Garden with the president and it's like 14 of like the same person behind him. You know, it's all these quote unquote house Republicans. What's well, like, are they making them in a factory? I mean, <laughs> it looks like the same person. So, um, it's pretty wild. Uh, I, I read a lot of blogs. I guess it doesn't have much to do with the news per se. Um, and great deal of books. So I, I watched a decent amount of Gary Vee videos, but you can only take him yelling at you for so long to go do something before that gets old. So, Oh man, I, I remember the early days of Gary Vee before he was re- like, he always yelled, but he didn't yell as much back then. And, uh, and boy, he's changed, but it's, it's still good. Still inspiring. Um, yeah. Well, Blake, thank you so much for coming on. I, I know that we've probably gone a little longer than I thought. I could probably talk to you for, for hours more, and uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you further? Sure. So I was fortunate enough to make all my social media the same handle. So everything is all lowercase, one bright Blake. That's all spelled out, O-N-E-B-R-I-G-H-T-B-L-A-K-E. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, I'm thinking I'm going to start using my Twitter more. And uh, Snapchat, same thing. Um, my website is blakehudson.me. Someone else had the .com, so God bless him. He's just sitting on it. Um, and I'm not rich enough to pay for that. So, yeah, .me. Um, you can go there and check out my blog. Uh, I offer speaking, consulting services, coaching. So if any of that interests you or if you just want to make fun, you know, Go have at it. Leave a comment. <laughs> and, um, yeah, those those kind of the main places to reach me. Even Facebook, facebook.com slash OneBrightBlake. So. Very nice. Well, Blake, thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, might have you back again soon. Thanks so much. Fantastic. You have a great day, Stephen. Thank you to Blake for coming on the show, and thanks to all of you for listening to the show. I hope you've been enjoying these episodes as we've been talking with people doing less of politics and more about uh, more about their story and more about what messages they want to send to people. If you haven't already, connect with the Outset Network on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Outset Network. Connect with me at Stephen underscore Perkins on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. And as always, check out outsetmagazine.com. And until we speak again next week with a new guest, Take care. God bless.